0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I'm your host, Chase Kraus. Let's dive in. What up, what up, y'all? Happy Thursday to you. I hope you have, or having, I guess, a fantastic week so far. I am in full swing summer mode as a youth minister right now, which means that i don't have too much going on um <laughs> but which has been really great it's given me a lot of time to prep for these for these episodes of catholics with bibles and it's given me a lot of time actually to reach out to kids that i don't usually get a chance to encounter uh, we're putting on some youth like agility training stuff this summer I'm also taking a group out to enchanted rock uh here in a few weeks and if you don't live in texas and have never heard of enchanted rock you should first off visit texas because it's the best state ever Second off, once you're there, you should go to Enchanted Rock. It's a giant rock. <laughs> that's, that's what it is, really. It, it's, uh, it's in the hill country, and so you can mistake it for a big hill. It's really not. It's really just a giant rock you can climb and have a bunch of fun on. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and so thank you again so much for joining me and listening to me rant about how the summer of being a youth minister is pretty awesome. Uh, but pray for the youth, um, not only at our parish, but also you know, around the world right now and around the States, it's a, man, it's a tough time to be a kid. It is such a tough time to be a kid right now. You have a summer of COVID, which means not a whole heck of a lot's going on. So they're still kind of stuck in their houses, a lot of them. And also, I mean, just with all the crap on social media and on the news and man, I can't even fathom how confusing, how hard it must be right now to be a kid and to try to be a a well-formed Catholic you know, student right now. Um, So really, I ask you, if you're listening to this, if you are, no matter who you are, maybe you are in high school listening to this, uh, pray for those in high school, middle school right now that are dealing with a totally different world than most of us dealt with uh, growing up and different challenges that I can't even imagine um, that they must be going through. So pray for our kids. But with that, let's get into uh, our bible study we are going through first and second thessalonians we started last week with a introduction into kind of the background the history of thessalonica we started kind of going through uh, the first three verses of first thessalonians we only got through three verses but because we spent a good chunk of time going through background and paul and all that kind of good stuff so if you need a bit of a review go ahead pause this podcast rewind to last week's podcast jump into that bible study uh you don't have to uh you can you can walk forward with us but you'll just get a better picture of the situation of thessalonica the thessalonians and all that good stuff also you can understand why i'm using thessalonians and not Thess- thessalonians um but with that catholic bibles we always start with the greek word of the day so greek word of the day today is eclogaine eclogaine um don't even know how to spell it. Uh, but, uh, this is the word for chosen. This this word's going to come up instantly in our, in our Bible study today. So just know that word eklogane is the word for chosen. So usually I would talk about the Greek word, but I actually want to just start diving in because I want to spend some time on that word in verse 4. So we're going to finish chapter 1 today. It's a bold, bold task we have ahead of us in a 30-minute podcast, but I think it's very doable. We're going to finish chapter 1 today. And then from weeks on end, I'm going to try to do one chapter, an episode. I'm going to do my best. Anybody who's done Bible studies with me knows that uh, sometimes I dream big uh, because there's just so much. So I'm trying to keep these still bite-sized, still under 30 minutes. So that way you can listen to them and not have to spend hours and hours studying and going through a fine tooth comb with everything. So that's my goal. Under 30 minutes. Let's get to it. So we're starting with First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with joy, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. All right. So there's a lot to unpack here, but let's just take it verse by verse here, going to four. So for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. I mean, just at face value, that's a beautiful verse. That's a beautiful verse. That that God has chosen you. And the reason I picked this Greek word today, the word for chosen, is because the only other time that Paul uses this exact Greek word is in Romans 11. So if you've never studied the book of Romans, how Romans is structured, you have your introduction, and then in basically starting about a quarter of the way into chapter one, halfway through chapter one or so, and through chapter eight, that's one section. And then chapters nine, ten, and eleven of Romans is the section concerning Israel. And then 12 through 16, or 12 through 15 really, is more of uh, an invitation to gospel living, exhortation, and then the conclusion. But the reason this middle section is really important Chapter, uh, Romans 9 through 11 is because Paul is zeroing in on the kingdom of Israel and how important Israel is to salvation. Israel was never forgotten by God. In fact, Paul says uh, they were a chosen, a clogane people. So Israel was chosen by God as God's firstborn son. In a metaphorical way right the nation is god's firstborn son and through israel salvation came to the world through israel as the olive tree the gentiles are grafted on that's the famous olive tree uh, analogy in, in romans uh, chapters 9 through 11. so paul uses it as uh, the tree was fostered and was grown and was nourished and this tree was god's people israel and yet, it's through this tree that we attain salvation by being grafted on, by being grafted on. As a wild, the, the Gentiles were wild branches that were grafted on to Israel. So, Paul addressing the Thessalonians here with that same word, chosen. It's not an arbitrary Oh God just being out there being like, "Yeah, why not? You look cool. Come on in." It wasn't a casual thing. No. God chooses you. He calls you by name. A clone There's power in that word. You are you are chosen. I remember when I was a kid growing up. I think everybody basically has this experience you know, you're in the, re- you're in your, your recess and you're, you're lining up, you're ch- choosing teams, you know, which team you're going to be on for basketball or football or whatever. And, um, it was always like the worst when you got, picked like last right or like close to last or like there was two people left and it was that awkward moment of like the nice kid doesn't want to have to pick one person knowing that I can't pick the other person and um it was just kind of funny recess moments I think everybody has to a certain extent except for a few friends who were always just like crazy athletic and they're always like the first ones picked and I was one of those kids where I was really good at some sports really bad at other sports so when it came to basketball I was for sure chosen last until I hit my growth spurt then watch out but anyway uh we as humans, we have this desire to be chosen, but not only to be chosen, but to be called by name. There's an amazing story. Um, bishop uh, Emeritus Brahm out in San Diego, he's not the bishop there anymore, he was. He told a story one time when I was in university, he visited our class to give a guest lecture, and he was in Rome, I think it was in the 60s or early 70s. It was before uh, Carol Wojtyla became Pope. And he was in Rome, and he was just a priest at the time, and I think it was his first ever Rome trip. And at the time he was, he was in the uh, St. Peter's Basilica courtyard. And then Carol Voitiwa uh, notices that he looks confused and lost and gives him directions. It was a very momentary thing, very passing thing, but they briefly introduce themselves and move on. And years and years later, Bishop Brom gets uh, made a bishop and he's sent to like the baby bishop school in Rome. And, He's they're all lined up to meet the Pope, and Pope then you know Saint John Paul II walks up to him, shakes his hand, and he looks at Bishop Brom and says, "We've met before." And Bishop Brom, not remembering you know what happened forty years ago at this point, thirty years ago, forty years ago, says, "Oh no, Holy Father, we've never met." Like you know, I, I thank you. You know, it's, I'm flattered for you thinking we met, but no, we've never met. Hi, and Bishop Brom, blah, blah blah blah. And and John Paul the Great looks at him and it's like, mm, okay but I'm pretty sure we've met. And then, you know, they, they go on and they do Bishop baby bishop school, whatever they call it. And uh, uh, later on dinner that night, uh, Bishop Brom tells a story of how uh, JP2 comes up to him, like in the middle of dinner, like goes up, finds his table. And uh, St. John Paul II says to him, you know, 1968 in the Basilica, or the, the courtyard of St. Peter's Basilica, you were lost looking for directions. Your name is blank like fill in the blank kind of thing right um and bishop brahm just sits there like flabbergasted because he then remembers that he had met a, a bishop named carol Voitiwa who like <laughs> helped him out kind of thing and the reason i love this story is because uh, the personalistic norm uh which jp2 kind of models everything off of is that man is is something to be loved and not used uh, for jp2 names were so important names were hugely essential in the fact that he remembered this guy because he tried to remember every single person that he encountered because each and every person was a unique image of God chosen by God the Father to be loved and and St. John Paul II recognized this and knew this and he tried to live it out in his personal life I think we can learn from that story so the Thessalonians were chosen by God verse 5 because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the holy spirit and with full conviction you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake so paul basically saying here that we didn't just come preaching and teaching even though that we did do that but god worked through us miracles happened miracles took place One of the misconceptions that we have about miracles, a lot of times, uh, you know, somebody survives like a car accident or something like that. Oh, it's a miracle. It's like, well, not actually. The the metal of the car and and the different plastics or whatever and the seatbelts, they they did what they were designed to do, namely protect the individual. So it's actually not a miracle because everything acted according to its nature. A miracle, properly speaking, is when something happens not according to its nature. You think of something like the Eucharistic miracle, right? It's truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, but under the appearance of bread and wine, Right. Um, or, you know, God becoming man, right? True God and true man. That's Jesus is a living, walking miracle. Um, and so Paul's saying that there were, there were signs, there was power, the Holy Spirit moved, miracles took place. The dead were raised, the sick were healed through his ministry. God proves himself through miracles. We have a God of miracles. The Gospel of John, if you read it closely, it's a book of signs. There's seven signs in the Gospel of John. And at the end, in the beginning, John mentions his signs, right? The first of the signs being the wedding feast of Cana, turning water to wine. Namely, the water became wine uh, through the miracle to the, the, Jesus Christ, his word and his action and his deeds. And that's acting against his nature, right? Water just doesn't become wine without us doing something to it over an extended period of time. So Paul, speaking to them, preaching to them, but also performing signs. So in power dynamos in Greek power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In verse six, we read, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So a couple of things we're going to zoom on, on here. I hope you just didn't hear my chair like creaking. Anyway, you might be able to hear that, whatever. <laughs> So the first one, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. This word in Greek is um, mimetai. You can almost hear the word imitate, imitate, mimetai. Imitators of us and of the Lord. One of the things Nathan Eubank points out in his commentary, which I think is, is really insightful, is the fact that especially in america and in the west in general but especially in america we have this ubu culture that imitation of another person to try to live the life of another person is frowned upon even though that's basically what everybody's doing ubu they're that's what they're doing anyway they're finding some celebrity or some influencer and they're just trying to copied them basically and but they're trying to do it with their own spin right <laughs> but as, as humans we just don't work that way we learn through experience something and we encounter something with this, our senses and we that that goes into our memory and then we can then understand something we break it apart we can we can think about it and then it's expressed through language and word and ideas and so in order for us to do anything we have, to, we have to first imitate something. You learn this. I mean, think about somebody learning an instrument. You learn at first by trying to copy what the pros are doing. Remember when I first started learning to play guitar, I tried to learn a bunch of like worship songs, a bunch of like country songs. Um, not, I, was, I was always confused. Like, why don't I sound like them? Um, <laughs> well, it wasn't that good. That's why. Uh, but for some reason with this, you know, this UBU culture, and it's just it's just total nonsense. And in antiquity, this is the exact opposite of the way people learn. In fact, teachers wanted you to imitate them. That's what Paul's saying here, because theoretically, the teacher had mastered whatever virtue that he was trying to teach. So the teacher, it's like, I'm trying to teach you this virtue. I want you to imitate me. That's why in ministry, when I'm when I'm teaching people how to give talks or testimonies, or whatever it is. This is something I learned from my formation: is you should never give a talk or a or a testimony on something you haven't yet conquered. I'm not saying you're perfect, right? But if you're giving a chastity talk, you should be living a chaste life, right? You, you, if you're if you're giving a talk on you know overcoming porn, you should you know basically have overcome porn. Obviously, you're still tempted, and we're still fighting, we still fall, but it shouldn't be like. A constant struggle for you, right? So, imitation in antiquity was expected. And Paul is saying, You became imitators of us. We went to you, you saw the way we lived, the way we talked, the way we treated each other, and you copied that. And because you copied that, you also copied the Lord. Why? Because we are imitating the Lord. Imitation is you know, the highest form of flattery. If you want to love God, you have to imitate Him. And this isn't something you're just trying to you know, copycat him without the, the virtue. Of the Holy Spirit no it empowers you to live a life like Christ, to have Christ move and breathe and work in you. And a lot of the times, this is, this is why we need spiritual directors. This is why we need holy men and women. At a priest I knew, he would always say, "You're the sum of the five people you hang out with most." So if all you hang out, if you only hang out with garbage human beings, you're probably not going to be that good of a human being. Doesn't mean you don't you shouldn't minister to them, but if you're trying to become a better person, you should try to surround yourself with people who are more virtuous than you, maybe more virtuous than you in various degrees. Having a spiritual director who you can li- look up to. That's why we have the saints, right? We don't worship the saints, rather we put them on a pedestal in order to see their virtues that we have not yet come to possess, try to imitate them, why? Because they're imitating Christ or they have imitated Christ to the best of their ability. So imitation is a beautiful thing. And as Christians, we don't have a you be you mentality. We have a you be Christ mentality. You have to imitate Christ. And if you're confused with what Christ might do, you look to the saints. Or you find that holy person, a, a, a consecrated single, a, lay, a holy lay person, a priest, a religious, whatever. And you try to imitate their virtues. Why? Because they're imitating Christ. In the next part of verse six, for you receive the word in much affliction with joy, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. This is that joyful Suffering. They received the word in much affliction. We look back, remember, if you read Acts 17. We know that Paul was basically run out of town. The, the, an angry mob wanted to kill him and persecute him. And if you read Acts, I mean, you story after story of Paul getting beaten, you know, stoned, uh, killed. I mean, all these, I mean, not killed, but, but basically tried to kill him. And all these things, right, of Paul's suffering. Paul's suffering yet being having joy because he's doing it for the sake of Christ. And he's saying that these Thessalonians did that. They received the word in much affliction, yet with joy. Nathan Eubanks quotes St. Catherine of Siena here on joyful suffering. I just want to, I want to read these, these quotes. I think they're beautiful. The first one, she's talking about Jesus on the cross. She says, he joyously shouts, It is finished. Yes, those seem to be sorrowful words, but they were words of joy to that soul aflame and consumed in the fire of divine charity. The soul of the incarnate word, God's son. It is as if the gentle Jesus wanted to say, I have completely fulfilled what was written of me. Fulfilled too is my painful desire to redeem the human race. I am happy, exultant that I have finished this suffering. Another quote. She's breaking into prayer while writing a letter. This is what she prays O fire, O abyss of charity, you are a fire ever burning but not consuming. You are filled with gladness, with rejoicing, with gentleness. To the heart pierced by this arrow, all bitterness seems sweet. Every heavy burden becomes light. So for St. Catherine, she's looking at Jesus, and when he says, it is finished. And a lot of times, you know, this can seem like a sorrowful cry of, you know, mercy almost. But no, she says this is a joyful cry through suffering. So as Christians, we have to then think about how do we suffer? Because Paul is praising the Thessalonians because they suffered well. And how does he know he, they, they suffered well? Because they suffered joyfully with praise of God on their hearts and minds and in their lips. And this is really when, I mean, I think for a lot of us, We have to think about how do you suffer? And don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean you can't feel the emotion of sorrow. You can't control how you feel. But you can control what you do. And the saints, saints wept, right? Saints cried. Paul even talks about elsewhere in Romans. Suffer with those who suffer, rejoice with those who rejoice. Yet when you're suffering, count it as joy that you get to participate in the cross of Jesus Christ in some small way. And this is going to look different for different people. But a sign that one is suffering well is if one can suffer joyfully. If one can suffer joyfully. So moving on. Like I said, I want to get through chapter one, but oh, we got like five minutes left. Um, (laughs) So we can do it. Um, So verse seven, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this is basically just saying how, because remember Thessalonica is the capital of Macedonia, but Paul had been elsewhere in Greece right at this point. And their reception of the gospel is so so good, it's so well done, that uh, all the other Christian communities that Paul had created and had already heard about them before Paul got back to him. So Paul's probably writing this letter from Corinth and word got back to Corinth over the Thessalonians faith before Paul even got back there. Remember Paul's only in Thessalonica for a few weeks, All right? So their faith spread and inspired others so quickly that it got there before even Paul did. So maybe we pray that you know our faith may inspire others too. This is going. This is tying into that imitation, communities. You can look at other communities and want to imitate that community. Imitation is not a bad thing. It's necessary to grow. So in of verse nine, so you have turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So this, yeah, Eubank argues is a bit of a proof that. Most, if not all, of the Thessalonican church were Gentiles. They were non-Israelites. because if they were Jews that had converted, they wouldn't have turned to God from idols. They would have turned uh, they wouldn't have turned at all. they would just have accepted Jesus as the Messiah. Right? So odds are most of this community, if not all this community, were Gentile converts. And this phrase living in true God, living in true God. Zoe is that Greek word for living. Living and true God. This is not a God who is a statue. This is not a God that is dead. It's not a symbol. It's not a figure. It's a living and true God. And going on, in verse 10 and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is Paul basically punching Caesar in the face without directly saying it. Why? Because remember, emperor worship was a thing, especially in Thessalonica, right? They were, they, they were big fans of Rome. They were a free city. And so when Caesar, Augustus, right, he declared his father, to be a divine after he died. And so he could then call himself son of God. But Paul saying, no, Caesar becomes divine after he's dead. You have a God who proved his divinity by being raised from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, the true king, the king of the world. It's not Caesar. We do not worship a dead God or a man who died and then became divine. No, we worship true God and true man who proved his divinity by being resurrected and his truly still reigns. He is a living and true God raised from the dead. This Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And this last phrase, wrath to come, it can it can sound harsh. If God is love, how can he be wrathful? But think about it this way could a God who is love be apathetic to your sins? Could a God who is love dismiss your faults and errors and sinfulness as no big deal? I say, no, we have a jealous God, a God who longs and burns for you. God longs and God, as St. Augustine says, God thirsts that we may thirst for him. So while God doesn't change, that's like God becomes moody and he's, he's happy and then wrathful. Rather, it's our disposition towards him because sin is its own punishment. Paul talks about this in Romans 2 where God gave them up to the desires of their heart because sin is its own punishment. So that that all the time we have for today, we got through it. We got through chapter one. Next week, we'll get into chapter two. Remember, You are chosen by the father. You are loved by the father and you are always enough for him. Thank you again for joining us. I'll see y'all next time. God bless. Guys, thank you so much again for joining me on Catholics with Bibles. If you are enjoying this Bible study, do me a favor, share it on your social medias, on Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff you know, tell friends about it. Uh, this is the point of this, uh, podcast ultimately is to dive into sacred scripture, to study the sacred page well in a bite-sized tangible way. And also don't forget to leave us a review on Apple iTunes as a podcast app. If you have it. it helps people find us faster when they type in like Catholic and scripture and all that good stuff. So once again, thanks for joining us. I'll see you next week.